1: Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to Anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. This is This is William.
2: This
3: is Ali Riley.
2: Hi, this is Ruben loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans,
0: to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Dan, Mike, Nick, and myself cover all of Chelsea's latest matches, team news, and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you for being an awesome listener, and with no further delay, let's jump right in. Hey, welcome back, Chelsea fans, to part two of this week's London is Blue podcast. Uh, Joining me as always are Nick and Dan. Special guest, Mike Flynn. Long time time listener. Part time (laughs) contributor. I'm only kidding. It's good to have you back, Mike. (laughs) Hey, what's going on? I genuinely appreciate having you on this pod, especially as I'm ranting in part one, and you're back there supporting me all the way while Nick and Dan tried to take me down. It's not going to happen. It's two on two now, gentlemen. Exactly. <laughs> you you, you Always spoke the, case, the truth. So we were, just, wow. we're there
1: to take you down, Brandon.
0: Ah, yes. Well, anyways, to break the tie... Uh, super excited to bring Jake Cohen on the pod, uh, talk about longtime friend. Uh, we got to meet up our very first trip over to London, been exchanging tweets, uh, you know, and messages for a long time, even before that. So, uh, Jake, welcome back, my man.
3: Yeah. Thanks very much for having me. It's always, uh, nice to chat with you guys. Um, and yeah, it's always nice to chat with anybody, but especially, uh, with people who sound very similar um, to me, and personally can understand me uh, when I speak, which has been a problem uh, for some of my buddies uh, in London, for sure.
0: I know. And you were telling us that you have a bit of a cold right now. You're in Boston, and your body's not used to this snow. So we feel we feel sorry for you, but our listeners, be patient. Uh, maybe put this uh, this one on, on 0.75 speed, and that'll help.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally, whatever you need to do to uh, understand me, please go ahead and do All uh, right. Yeah, I am battling cold, and I do apologize uh, if I'm more incomprehensible than usual. No, nah,
0: you're good. Like Dan said, uh, we, we love that you're playing injured. Yeah. You are you're putting in a shift. <laughs> uh, Nick, real quick, a uh, plug for the Football Blogging Awards, us and the Chelsea FanCast.
4: Correct. Yeah. So uh, if you go to footballbloggingawards.co.uk, you can. Uh, Enter in the old London is blue podcast underneath the best international content creator. Uh, we'd be really pumped if you did that, or entered via tweet. You know, we have a whole uh, post on our, you know, just go to our Twitter account and we'll basically share with you how to enter. Uh, if you could, uh, if you could help us out there and get us on the list of finalists, that would be awesome. Uh, we are also working with our friends at the Chelsea Fancast to kind of uh, hit them from both sides. Uh, so we'd like you to vote for them as the best podcast, um, so that we were able to, to kind of paint this thing blue. So, uh, if you could do that, that would be awesome. You can interview Instagram as well. Um, you know who we are, you know what we do. We, we'd love to, uh, to be a part of this, uh, a part of this award uh, ceremony, Dan, and and hopefully make this thing uh, all Chelsea. Yeah,
1: absolutely. The other thing that we've got going on too is uh, we won't have a new iTunes review to read because we read all the wonderful ones on the last episode that you listened to in the first part of the week. But we are very, very close to 500 lifetime reviews on the US iTunes store. So if you are one of the people as you are listening to this podcast right now, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if I've left a really wonderful review. About how amazing Brandon is, how exceptional Mike is, how cool Nick is. Uh, go ahead and do that now, Look, and we would greatly appreciate like, that.
4: Like, <laughs> let's let's just not let's not troll me in the middle of other people trying to give me legitimate. I think praise, your name you know? has
0: been mentioned the most in those reviews, for better for worse. So uh, you know that that is what it is. Uh, Mike, on Patreon, uh, it's not just about Patreon anymore, it's really about getting access to Discord, and my oh my, has there been a ton of discussion on the general chat about Zinedine Zidane heading back to Real Madrid and what that
2: means for one Ed Nazard. Yeah, you know, there's there's never enough time to discuss all of the uh the details and everything that happens within each match and I think the the Discord channel is an amazing opportunity to continue those conversations and really uh you know, get to the bottom of each situation and you know, also um you know, maybe you can't make it to the pub but you've got, you know, a ton of other Chelsea fans that you can chat with while watching the matches. So I highly, highly encourage anyone who's a Patreon or, or thinking about it joining and uh, you know, being part of that discussion.
4: Hey guys, we're doing a bit of a different episode for um, for this week. We wanted to put together um, a, a pod special on some of the business uh, sides of Chelsea. Obviously there's been a lot of discussion recently on not only Roman Abramovich, not being a, uh, as present at matches or at the training ground as he used to be do some visa related things, but also uh, the recently published reports of uh, breach of article 19 for, uh, for youth transfers and what that might mean for transfer windows coming up uh, club finances as a whole looking ahead to the next phase of what Chelsea is going to be all this stuff. And that's really built on a foundation of the business. And so we didn't, uh, you know, have the, uh, best understanding of, of how this all worked in detail as our friend Jake Cohen. So we wanted to bring Jake in to talk through some of the more detailed pieces of how and why uh, Chelsea have performed on and off the field recently. Here you go. All right. So the
0: first part of this episode is going to be all about the transfer ban. Uh, we are going to take some time to define a couple of things or walk uh, our listeners through what some of you know, some of you don't know, just to make sure we're all on the same you know kind of playing field. So, Jake, before we get started, Article 19, uh, why is it such a priority for FIFA to uphold?
3: The reason why it's so important, it's so important, I actually agree with, is to prevent the worst case scenario. And that worst case scenario has actually happened a number of times, where these unscrupulous people masquerading as agents will go to these young players, this usually happens in Africa, where... They'll grab, you know, you know, the best young players from, you know, you know, these local clubs with very little oversight. They may even actually charge the player's family a fee to sign with the agent. The agent will then bring that player to Europe. It's usually France and the player may or may not get a trial. Um, if the player is not off of the contract, which he rarely is, um, that "quote unquote" agent will basically dump the player. You know, the agent may have you know set up a room for the player for a week, but then you know once the agent stops paying the hotel, the player is kicked out. He's homeless. He may not speak the language. He has no money. He has nowhere to go home, and he's stranded homeless, thousands of miles away from his family and everything he's ever known, and. That's actually happened dozens, if not hundreds of times. And that's a dire, dire situation for any young football to be in. The chief has an obligation, of course, to prevent that from happening at all costs, which is why they strictly enforce Article nineteen. Um it's unfortunate, of course, when clubs with the resources to care for these players, provide schools to these players, uh, get caught up in it. But I certainly understand why um nineteen needs to be strictly enforced and um, if that's what FIFA has to do to prevent the worst-case scenario from happening, then that's what FIFA has to do. But that worst-case scenario needs to be prevented from happening at all costs. So uh, that's the logic and the reasoning and why.
0: So, unfortunately, we're kind of in limbo, which is the worst place to be in a situation like this. Uh, this is going to be basic, but how is a transfer supposed to occur? And then can you explain what Chelsea are being penalized for? Sure,
3: well... Yeah, I think it's a great idea to start and sort of define some key terms you know, before we just launch into this detailed discussion. So maybe the first thing is to stop talking about this as a transfer ban. So what this really is, is a ban on registering new players. So Chelsea can sell players. Chelsea can recall its loan players. Chelsea can actually buy players. It just can't register that player with the club. So we actually saw Barcelona do this with Arthur no, no, sorry, Alex Vidal and one other player. So when they were um, sanctioned by FIFA for very similar violation, alleged violations with regards to violating FIFA's Article 19, they were able to buy new players, but those players were not able to actually be registered for the club, meaning they could not actually play competitive matches for the club until the registration ban was over. So um, from the outset, it's a, it's a registration ban. It's a ban on registering new players. You can buy players. You'd be able to actually use those players in competitive matches until the registration ban expired, and you're now able to register that player. You can also sell players, and you can also loan players. Um, but in terms of how a transfer works, how an international transfer works, um, which is why FIFA is involved, this is... Um, alleged violations with regard to international transfers, um, the first thing and the most important thing that clubs will do once the clubs have reached an agreement and once the player has reached an agreement over wages and an employment contract with the, with the buying club is to go with the FIFA TMS. So it's uh, FIFA's transfer mapping system, which is an online platform that Clubs use in order to get what's called an international transfer certificate process. So, when we hear in the news about, um, you know, clubs faxing over documents or the fax machines not working um, on transfer deadline day, maybe that's why a transfer failed to go through. Um, that's complete nonsense. Fax machines haven't been used since 2010. It's been this FIFA TMS system uh, that's been in place since 2010, almost a decade now. And while it's seldom discussed, it's a crucial part of every single international transfer. So yeah, just at its core, it's an online platform designed to ensure that the football authorities have more details available to them. Um, And then it's also sort of defaults as a database that simultaneously helps increase transparency while reducing the potential for illicit activities such as money laundering. Um, Each club is required to have a designated TMS manager um, which means it's their responsibility to know how this online platform works, which is fairly simple, um, very intuitive, very easy to use. And it'll be the responsibility of those called CMS managers to ensure that key details are processed. And I've actually dug up a, um, template TMS report. And some of the details are, so for example, there's a, the transfer will have a specific reference number, um, both clubs will need to enter in that specific reference number. The player will have a player ID. Both player both clubs will have to enter in that player ID, the player's full name, um, the intermediary, if an intermediary or an agent, rather, is used, what the transfer fee is, um, exactly how much the fixed transfer fee is, if there's any contingent payments. And what I mean by contingent payments is uh, potential add-ons, um, those will have to be listed in there what the trigger points for those add ons are, if there's any sell on fee um, owed to anybody, whether that sell on fee has been paid yet, um, and then uh, the relevant bank details where the would be buying club um, would deposit the money with the would be selling club. Um, and yeah, there's dozens of key data points in both the would be buying club and the would be selling club need to enter in those details exactly the same. So all the details need to match, hence TMS, transfer matching system. And then once both clubs have entered in the correct matching information to feed for TMS, um, an international transfer certificate will be issued by the Federation in the country that the Polaris' former club to the Federation of the country in the Polaris' new club. So just to sort of simplify things, Let's use a recent transfer, so uh, Giorgino, right? Um, Chelsea recently bought him from Napoli. Um, Napoli's TMS manager and Chelsea's TMS manager will have had to enter in all the details related to Giorgino's transfer once the uh, TMS system found that all of their details were exactly matched up. It would then be for the FIGC, which is the Italian FA, to then transfer the international transfer certificate over to the FA. The English FA, um, which then enables Chelsea to register to a junior as a Chelsea player. Um, so that's pretty detailed version of how a transfer works. But that's how every international transfer has been processed since
1: 2010. So with that in place, so we we now understand you know why there's a you know how, how a transfer works, like what the lifestyle uh, lifecycle is of a transfer. What is the specific element that Chelsea is being penalized from a registration standpoint for? So there's a lot of conversation around Article 19, but what is the specific, you know, violation that Chelsea is being criticized for? And, you know, like, could you kind of walk us through that in a kind of very layman's example?
3: Okay, sure, Um, and maybe just to just to hammer home how important FIFA TMS is, you know, as I mentioned, it's how every international transfer football is in process in 2010. But very few football fans um, will have an understanding of what FIFA TMS is um, and how important it is. So, um, if uh, you know when these clubs are going through the TMS system and matching up the relevant details. Uh, if a club fails to disclose one of the details are falsified documents and its submissions, disciplinary measures may be imposed. Um, there are two types of investigations that FIFA TMS's um, integrity and compliance council will launch. One is called an administrative sanction procedure, ASP. And those are, this is 14 um, specific ASP infringements. Those are just minor infringements. So as an example, the uh, the intermediary's name uh, is spelt wrong. It's very minor infringement. Um, it's it's clearly not um, a intentional falsification of a document. Um, so outside of those fourteen minor infringements, um, if there's an issue and it's not one of those fourteen, the Integrity and Compliance Council will open what's called the TCF, a traditional case file, and those. TCF, so it's traditional case files are referred to the FIFA disciplinary committee for a decision and possible sanctions. And that will have been what happened with Chelsea. So from the start, like these there would have been some irregularities found in the TMS system by FIFA TMS's integrity compliance council. Uh, a TCF so traditional case file will have been opened and then the next step was the FIFA disciplinary committee taking a look at it, and they obviously found, uh, I think it was 29 alleged violations of Article 19. And just so we're clear on what Article 19 is, Article 19 is just the 19th rule in FIFA's RSTP, the regulations on the status and transfer of players. Um, just a f- fundamental set of rules um, with regards to there players on the international level. Um, and Article 19 states very simply that you cannot engage in an international transfer of a player who is under the age of 18. There are three exceptions to that rule. The first exception being when the player's parents um, move to the country of the player's new club for non-footballing reasons. So as an example, Eric Dyer, English player, His mother worked for the UEFA. um, When Eric Dyer was a kid, Um, she was stationed in Portugal, which then allowed a young Eric Dyer, maybe 10 or 12 years old, to join Porto. So even though Article 19 says you're not allowed to move internationally until you turn 18, because Eric Dyer's mom was transferred from England to Portugal for non footballing reasons, non footballing reasons being the player's family did not move for the specific and primary purpose of the player's football and career. Um, that was completely allowed. The second exception is where the player moves from one EU or EEA club to another. Um, so an example would be a young Andreas Christensen moving from Denmark to Chelsea um, when he was 16 or 17. Even though, again, Article 19 says an international transfer can't happen until 2018, uh, the Christensen deal fell under that exception. Another very famous deal would be Seth Fabergast moving from Barcelona to Arsenal, um, or Hector Bellerin, uh making the same move. The third exception is where the player lives within 50 kilometers of the border, and the club where the player wants to move is also within 50 kilometers of the border. So an example what that would bear out would be a kid from San Diego, Ruben Cazzoa's, uh Liga MX Club in Tijuana. Um, so, those are three exceptions, but fundamentally, you're not supposed to be signing players um, under the age of 18, um, or you're not supposed to be an international transfers, sorry, should I say, of uh, under the 18 players unless it falls under those three exceptions. And the Committee um, have alleged that. Chelsea have side 29 players um, who did
4: not follow any one of exceptions. Okay, Jake. So I think the thing that we're all kind of most interested in out of uh, the, um, the FIFA uh, declaration on article 19 and the 29 players that you just mentioned is the fact that, you know, this is not a, um, a singular case, uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid all recently have faced uh, similar uh, penalties. And so uh, I would like to kind of have you take us through a stream of consciousness that you posted on your own Twitter uh, right after the um, right after the uh, penalty was handed down, uh, as to why Chelsea were not able to um, delay um, the sentencing. Uh, this in the same vein that uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Atletico Madrid were all able to, i.e. Uh, delay that so that we could potentially still make transfers during the summer um, go.
3: Uh, sure. So yeah, I think Chelsea everybody around Chelsea, I certainly expected the FIFA appeals committee to stay the transfer ban pending the outcome of the final appeals process and just some layman's term. We all expected the FIFA appeals committee to temporarily lift the ban on registering new players until the whole Appeals process saw itself through. Um, why did we all think that? Because in April 2014, People Appeals Committee granted Barcelona's request for exactly that. Um, January 2016, Real Madrid made that very same request to the Appeals Committee. It was granted. January 2016, Atlanta Madrid made that exact same request to People Appeals Committee. It was granted. But in March 2019, when Chelsea made that request, it was denied. Very very That's strange. Um, there's a new president of the FIFA Disciplinary Committee, or sorry, by the uh, FIFA Fields Committee. And um, it seems like he's doing things a little differently. Um, with
4: do, the, do, do you find it weird that they did?
3: It is an extraordinary break compressor. Yeah,
4: that, that was what I was going to ask you about, Jake. Do you find it strange that they wouldn't follow? the precedent that they had set with three other major clubs? <laughs> and, like, what could the rationale be for that?
3: Sure. So, I mean, the FIFA Appeals Committee is not bound to precedent, uh, nor for that matter is cast. So, while that may seem very, very strange to, for example, people from the U.S., Australia, Canada, the U.K., who grew up in a common law legal system, just about everybody else in the rest of the world grows up in a civil law legal system where it's just simply okay to break from precedent. Um, so while... It's, it's very, very strange. Well, I mean, one, it, it's just very, very strange in football. So it's just the lack of consistency with four major clubs being um, alleged to have um, violated the same rule for over you know, a three-year period for that request to be granted every single time. And for Chelsea to have been denied that request is extraordinary. And then, one, I mean, right now, this is just an allegation by the Future Disciplinary Committee. I mean, Chelsea still has the right to a full appeals process before the Appeals Committee, and if necessary, before the Court of Arbitration for support, and then in very, very limited cases, which I certainly do not expect you to get to, which would be the uh, Swiss Federal Tribunal. Um, so one could argue that it unfairly prejudices Chelsea because... Right now, it's just an allegation by the disciplinary committee. Um, the process has not been borne out yet. And given that the appeals committee took anywhere between six to eight and a half months to um, finish its stage of the appeal process for Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Mundico Madrid, I mean, the international transfer window opens in three and a half months. Um, so if the FIFA appeals committee takes six to eight and a half months, and then Chelsea's later found out at the cast to have actually not um, violated these rules. It would be an extraordinary mistake by FIFA, of which Chelsea would bear the consequences, and not FIFA. Um,
1: so, so Jake, as you as you mentioned that point, what like what level of as I know we talk about like you know if it doesn't go well with the arbitration court or the appeals court, you can take it to CAS. Like, is there any intermediary step that Chelsea could take to, you know, either force FIFA to speed up their process or to, you know, potentially get it moved quickly or even kind of bring in another party to um, look at how fair this is or isn't? Like, I'm just wondering what like what recourse does Chelsea have in this capacity to try to, you know, not be kind of penalized for... The, the, the rate at which this process takes.
3: Yeah, I mean, right now, Chelsea's at the mercy of the timings with regards to the FIFA Appeals Committee. So given that the Appeals Committee took the extraordinary step and denied Chelsea's request to save the ban pending the outcome of the final proceedings, one would hope that the FIFA Appeals Committee would be a little bit more expedient in issuing their decision. Um, so rather than six to eight and a half months one would hope that the appeals committee member or president overseeing this has a time to write the written reasons and issue the full award somewhere between now and the next three half months. You know, also hopefully um, with regards to Chelsea's legal team, you know, they're very busy, FIFA's always very busy, the appeals committee is very busy. And so just as a logistical note, Sometimes it can actually take months just to get a hearing, just because everyone involved is very, very busy. So one would hope that everyone works around Chelsea's schedule, given and again I can't understand how extraordinary it was that the Feasive Appeals Committee denied Chelsea's request. Um so in light of that, one would hope that the appeals committee takes the steps necessary so as not to unfairly prejudice Chelsea with regards to their ability to business as normal while the appeal process is being undertaken
0: are there direct maybe financial implications that come from Chelsea I it sounds like the club can still sell players we can move players on loan we can't register new ones
3: um sure so in terms of financial issues I mean off of the bat when you know Chelsea has a number of players um, that are up for extensions, new contracts, and Chelsea is certainly at a much weaker negotiated position because in order to retain some of those players, um, they're possibly going to have to pay more than they would have otherwise had they been able to go out and potentially replace those players, um, but for the ban on registering new players. So if Chelsea can't go out and replace those players, it becomes all that much more important for them to retain the players that they have. And of course, the players and their agents will know that. Um, so that, that's one financial issue, um, for sure. Um, another financial issue is that, um, let's say the FIFA Appeals Committee is expedient and they're a part of the appeals process and assuming Chelsea does not get the result they want at the appeals committee, it would then go to the Court of Arbitration for It's extremely likely that the Court of Arbitration Trace of the sport will temporarily lift the ban on registering new players while that final part of the appeals process is being But of course, other clubs will know that Chelsea would be in a buying mode because they'd be stockpiling, knowing that there's a strong possibility that Chelsea will not be able to buy players um, for the next two trans winters so the, the winter and then the fall and summer. So if Chelsea's in a buying mode, of course, every other club in the world will know that, and then um, it would make things that much more difficult because when the would be some club negotiated with Chelsea, they know that Chelsea is in a weak position because if they don't get the player they want this summer, they're going to have to wait um, until, what, like, January 2021? Have I got that right? Um, to sign a new player? So, yeah, that's that's another financial issue to so, um, yeah, it's 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 just uh, the weakened negotiating position uh, that Chelsea
0: have. Yeah, so very negative, obviously, in, in the way we do it. Um, the good news is uh, we did knock out uh, a lot of these social questions. I just want to you know give shout outs to to Big Nash, Pablo Teskebar uh, at Kavanagi ninety nine, and Mark Clement. Most of you guys on on Discord, um, and I think that uh, that could be a a, a big kind of leading question, Dan. Here as we talk about uh potential promotion maybe from within the club if we're, you know, in a in a disadvantaged situation to sign new players um or not allowed to at all.
1: Yeah, and, and I think though the other thing from like a financial standpoint that I'm kinda of wondering is like how how much more valuable does this make the academy and kind of retaining the academy or the, you know, talented young players, you know, if we are going into that kind of a, a period and Do you think that will change maybe structurally, like how it has been used for mostly for profit, like up until this point in terms of developing new talent? Because we haven't seen a ton of progression. We're only starting to see that now with Christensen, Loftus Cheek, Calum Hudson Adoy. Like, do you, you know, what's your kind of take on where the academy will fit in if the registration uh, ban is upheld?
3: Um, I mean, I I think it would be inclusive a lot of Bond over you know, the next year, 18 months, um, to develop first team players. So I, I would say, you know, given that we're Americans talk to American audience, you know, look at like the Oakland A's around like 2000, right. That's sort of like Billy be Moneyball era. You know, they couldn't go out and like spend with the Red Sox and the Yankees. So, you know, they develop players through the farm system. And I think that's what, uh, Chelsea's going to have to do they Just continue to develop internally. Um, and a sort of, one positive byproduct of a trade advantage, if you can call it that, um, is, you know, there may be more opportunities um, for these, young academy players to
4: get 15 minutes. Yeah. And, and Jake, one of the questions that I had around the youth system is obviously, you know, when these guys are, you know, under eights, you know, like, like Ruben Loftus Cheek was, for example, and is now, you know, getting. Some decent minutes uh, as a part of the Chelsea first team, you know. Obviously, there's a cost of bringing that person, uh, in in this case, Ruben, through the academy, all the training that goes into it. So there's clearly a hard cost uh, to this academy, kind of working to produce these these top level players. So, uh, you know, it's it's always been a question on my mind: is how how does the club view that cost versus Bringing in, you know, a like-minded talent in this case, Ross Barkley, externally, and so how does that maybe add up over time?
3: for Sure. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, you know, that's that's certainly a hard cost. That's certainly a hard cost that can actually be quantified. So it would be um, losses, these wages, agent fees, um, and then a percentage of what it costs to run the academy, and that calculation can be done any number of ways. In fact, it is done any number of ways, um, in training competition cases. Um, so would you apportion if there's 200 players in the academy during last week's tenure, do you apportion one, two hundredth of the academy costs? Maybe do you apportion one 20th of the academy cost Cause those are the players who actually like, made it to the first thing. You can do any number of ways. It certainly is a hard cost, but that cost is going to be much, much lower. Um, than buying externally so developing internally is always going to be cheaper than buying externally at a fundamental level of course if you buy externally as chelsea has done with their academy so i mean if you look at speaking of academy players and just buying players using a very valid exception to article 19 i mean i don't think that many people will fly this up but um, just two months ago, um, Chelsea signed Finland's under-17 goalkeeper, uh, Lucas Bergström, he's 16 years old. How'd they get him? Very valid. Uncle 19 exception. Article 19, too. He's paid in advance almost 2 million pounds um, for another brilliant 16-year-old pierre Olympi. um Olympi. Last summer, um, there's a Austrian awesome player, um, who's from the Ivy Coast, uh, Theodore Baller, um, they just signed him um, through a very valid exception uh, to And when we think about Chelsea's academy players, yeah, you know, you have the room Loftus Chiefs, uh, the Tom Legend of Doors, but more often than not, you have players kind of like Andreas Christensen um, or Marcel Volca, who will be signed as 16 year olds from top academies in Europe, and then they'll sort of finish the development stage with Chelsea out on my own and then
0: progressing first in that way all right so now that we're back we want to kind of go over the financial performance Chelsea published uh their their profits and their losses their statements uh from the previous year trailing and so uh taking a thirty thousand foot view of how Chelsea finished last year with the financials uh let's go ahead and take a look at this with Jake and you can kind of give us your assessment of this was good bad or, or maybe neutral uh what it what did you think overall Jake when you saw this published
3: sure yeah i mean um and just to be clear we're looking at the 201718 um financial year reports um it was pretty easy to project out i predicted 450 million pounds of revenue that ended up being 433 before profit on player trading, which um you have to look at turnover which is not, Day broadcast and commercial revenue separately from profit on play trading because that's a it's a very variable um, revenue source that can fluctuate wildly from year to year um, but if you add that in it's well over 450 million pounds um, and it's I think it would have been 550 million pounds um, but in terms of overall turnover it was just shy of 450 um, which we knew it was going to be very, very high. We knew it was going to be a record-breaking year for Chelsea because of all of the new commercial uh, deals that they signed. Um, commercial revenue should continue to increase um, for 2018-19 with the additions of the Hyundai Sleeve deal, um, the Millennium Hotels deal, and I anticipate we'll see more commercial sponsors announced before the end of the financial year as
0: well. So overall, um, good signs, right? I mean, it, for layman's terms,
3: for sure. I mean, it was it was a record breaking year for for Chelsea revenue wise. Um, profits were, I think, sixty million pounds, maybe over sixty million pounds. And broadcast revenue continues to increase. Um, commercial revenue continues to increase. Matchday revenue is pretty static. Um, and it should be pretty static. Yeah, you know, there's a finite amount of seats at Stanford Bridge. Um, season ticket prices have been frozen for a number of years now, as they should be. Um, so the fluctuation in massive revenue just comes down to how Chelsea competes in the domestic and European Cup
1: competitions. You know, Jake, one of the things that I was looking at when I was going through, and, and you know, for those who don't know. Uh, the Twitter account uh, Swiss Ramble has really great financial breakdowns of all of the. Oh, they're they're so good. Um, if you want to get super nerdy on that element of how your club is run, um, is that you know, obviously Chelsea has done very well even on missing out within the Champions League in terms of like the financial performance from European matches and you know participation in the Europa League and Champions League, but. You know, if we look at another season here of potentially not being a part of the Champions League, so if we go darkest timeline and Chelsea uh, don't win Europa League and don't finish top four, you know, what would be you know the the financial impact from having that happen two years in a row for the the club in your mind?
3: I mean, just talking about broadcasting revenue, that's at least a fifty million pound reduction in revenue. Um, there's any sponsorship deals. Tied to participation in Champions League, those could take a hit as well. Um, then, of course, there could be some reductions in player contracts, um, but it's not going to be anywhere near enough to offset the massive loss in broadcasting revenue, um, potential loss in commercial revenue, and then for future sponsorship revenue. Um, there is a loss in cachet around the club. Um when you go and pitch the sponsors, you know, where you have all these good assets, you're one of the biggest clubs in the world, but you can't tell Chelsea sponsor that they're gonna have all of the um coverage and assets around Champions League football. Um obviously Chelsea has successfully included a number of sponsor deals. Um without being in the Champions League, but it, it does make it uh, a more difficult sell, for
4: sure. Yeah, so I think one of the, the key things that we noticed, Jake, um, as we were going through uh, some of these numbers from the Swiss Ramble is that um, a lot of the uh, profit or the bottom line was boosted by uh, player sales. So that included Diego Costa to Atletico Madrid, Nemanja Matic to United, uh, Nathan Ake and Asmir Begovic to uh, to Bournemouth. Um, so there was 113 million in profit just on player sales alone, which you know is is fine. You know you, you make money however you can make money, but that's typically not the trend line that you see from other um, big clubs or top six clubs. So can you maybe talk about you know how that? How that would look, or, or what Chelsea would need to to do to kind of level out there? Because I mean, if you keep selling players, you know, of that stature, um, you know, unless you're acquiring like-minded players uh, in, in the same window, you know, that that uh, well kind of runs dry over time.
3: Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I would, like. I just want to make clear that Chelsea had a record-breaking year, not like not even included in the profit on player trail. So so when you talk about overall turnover. You're looking at broadcast, maxed, and commercial revenue. And the profit on player sales is not included in that number. Of course, it is included in the bottom line. So when you say Chelsea had $60 million profit, of course, that, a lot of that had to do with Chelsea's profit on player sales. Um, I think it's a bit of a misleading number because when players are sold, you receive the profit on those books. And all the profit from those sales are recorded in that year. Whereas when you buy a player, um, anyone familiar with my Twitter feed will know um, this is called amortization, which is when you buy a play for fifty million pounds, he doesn't cost fifty million pounds this year; he costs ten million pounds each of the next five years, assuming you signs a five-year contract. Um, and that number um, is used very incorrectly um, to support this completely fictitious notion that Chelsea is no longer spending as much as they did on players, whereas if you look at the wage bill and you look at the amortization, you know that Chelsea's spending more than it's ever had. Um, so in terms of getting that in line with um, like other bigger clubs, um, I, I mean, you can't increase amortization by 100 million pounds a year because um, that means you just spent 500 million pounds in one year on transfers. Um yeah, if, if you're going to be able to sell players like Oscar, Ramirez, LeMondi, um, for the prices that clubs are willing to pay, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, it's, it's good business.
2: So, Jake, um, what are some of the other ways you'd expect uh, the club to explore um, to remain financially competitive, especially um, against what we might call a, a nation-state football, your Man Cities, your PSGs, kind of as, we, as they continue to spend more and more b- money, even within... You know, financial fair play.
3: Sure. So, I mean, you know, I I think it'll depend in large part on what UEFA does um, with regards to some of these alleged financial fair play violations. Um, From the outset, Chelsea has taken financial fair play very seriously um, and has worked very, very hard to change their business model in order to comply with those rules, the domestic and the UEFA rules on financial fair play. Um, If, in fact, these regulations are toothless. Um, That was obviously a mistake, but um, from the outset, it seemed like UEFA meant what they said. These rules were in place. Um, You know, the sanctions that are listed, they've, or very few of these have been enforced with regards to um, being denied a license to actually participate in European quality. European competition that you would have otherwise qualified for um, whether you're doing well in the league or stuff. Um, we've not really seen that happen very often. Um, we have seen it happen, but it's not happened to, it's not happened to PSG, for example. Um, yeah. So, um, in terms of other revenue streams, I mean, you know, again, uh, Chelsea can't do anything but broadcast the revenue. Like, you know, those deals are negotiated by the Premier League and by UEFA on the Champions League and the league side. So all Chelsea can do is continue to try to you know, do well in various The champ won't, won't qualify for Champions League um, to get that broadcast. And then advance as far as you can because there are, there are three potential bonuses that come with advancing. Um, and the closer you finish to the top of the table and the Premier League um, actually determines um, the size of the the way pie that you get. Um, in terms of sort of like thinking outside the box, I know Kelsey has implemented a much more data-driven approach um, with regards to fan data. Um, a lot of that is being supported by the new app, the Fifth Stand app, which I, you know, I, I know a lot um, has gone into that um, by collecting fan data um for a number of reasons uh it becomes much much more appealing to sponsors um there's a lot of outreach in the u.s right now it's the largest media market in the world um i think there's a lot of ways that chelsea are exploring in terms of monetizing um and, and followers um which you know again every other club is doing um no club, I think, has had success yet. But um, once the club does have success, being able to extract one pound a month um, from mm-hmm. all of their fan, the followers. So if Chelsea has 50, 60 million followers across the world, if, you know, the first club is going to crack that code. They've been making the same more money than any club ever has or ever will. Um, so every club in the world is, is working. Awesome.
2: So, so quite literally, from a supporters' aspect, um, you know, there's not much that you know. We always want the club to spend more money on players and stuff, but we we actually can make an impact by using the fifth stand app. It, it might actually add better market value to the club by participating.
3: Yeah, not only is it going to benefit the club, it's going to benefit you as a fan too. I mean, like if you're not downloading the app, it's just download it. It's a good app. Um, like if. If you're one of those fans who, for example, are waiting for like the Team Sheets um, to be announced and you're just like refreshing Twitter, mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. earliest place or the the first place that Team Sheets can be published is on that 5th Sand app. So if you want to save yourself for maybe even five minutes, you, know, you download that 5th Sand app and you'll have it five minutes before you would have otherwise got it uh, on Twitter or Instagram or announced on, on Sky or NBC or wherever you watch uh, your
0: public awesome so we're definitely um, A users I listened to the first 10 minutes 15 minutes or so on the fifth stand at today so uh, you know you got that going for us but I do kind of want to talk about the man the main man at the head of the club our Russian sugar daddy Roman Abramovich uh, it, it, two, two things here so one There's been a lot of kind of discussion about, is he still in love with the club? Is he, uh, and I know you can't answer these things, but I would want you to see, can can you, are you able to clarify, is Abramovich able to come and visit uh, London, Chelsea, the UK, Uh, and then two... Obviously, we want to touch on the fact that he raised $550 million in a Russian stock sale in one of his companies in Russia. And if that has any kind of impact on uh, you know, him, his net worth, Chelsea, however you can triangulate that, if you can.
3: Sure. So, I mean, from the outset, I mean, I've not seen a single sign that Mr. Bobic has treated Chelsea any differently than when he gave his first and only interview when he bought the club and said, I'm not in this to make money. There's much more easier ways to win money. I'm trying to win trophies. And since he bought the club, he spent billions of pounds. Every single penny that the club has earned has gone directly back into the club for the sole purpose of increasing your chance at winning trophies. And I mean, said here, Chelsea's won everything there is to win. They keep winning trophies year in and year out. And there's no indication whatsoever that that mindset has changed once single while. And if you say that Chelsea's not spending as much as they have in the past, maybe they're not spending as much as they have in two thousand six, two thousand seven. I mean, they are. If you say that Chelsea's not spending as much as they possibly can, um, yeah, you, know, you just need to go back to math class. Like, I, I don't know what you tell you. Like, the numbers are there in black and white. Like, yeah, you know, it's like it's not an opinion, it's not a football opinion. It's just a fact. Chelsea spends literally every single penny that goes into Chelsea goes right back into it and then so Mr. Mr. has just injected more. He just he just injected several million uh pounds right back into the club. You know, and that's on top of the billion pluses value invested. So any notion that Mr. Obama is, um, is less interested in Chelsea, um, not spending it, much it's like that that's just wrong. I mean I, I obviously can't speak to his address but in, in terms of uh finance commitment like it's it's a fact. It's like is a sky blue, yes. Um and then in terms of whether or not um he can come to the country, yeah of course he can come to the country. He's he's got his real passport. Um he has the same rights that he has the same rights that you and I do. Um so uh, we're regularly in England. Um i'm pretty sure if it's not very very confident that we'll see him in boston um for the final with on hate which is a very very important game and it uh, to him and yeah with regards to that stock sale i mean this this is news to me Um, uh, my buddy ollie glanville who i recommend following on twitter he slides this up a bit i <laughs> don't mr bronbick aired this uh like 6% of this company, that like 40% of the world's uh, palladium, which I understand is important metal. I, I, I have no idea what it does, but it's, it's like 40% of like an element to <laughs> put you on a table. Um, it's probably worth some money. And yeah, I, th- I think it's 1.7% of, of this company for $550 million. Um, not too bad.
0: I mean, that's a, that's a good Saturday out, right? You know?
3: It's decent. It's decent. I mean, it's just... This is crazy. Like like an orphan from Siberia who started out as a proper duck salesman.
0: Not bad at all. Uh, well, Jake, honestly, this, is, this has been great. We, this is uh, always a good update when we can kind of go through the off-the-field side of the club. And you are the man to do it. So, again, a huge thank you. Uh, give him a follow on Twitter. Be nice to him. He deserves it. At Jake F. Cohen, C-O-H-E-N. Uh, and it sounds like, is there a chance we might be seeing you in Boston for the Say No to Antisemitism match?
3: Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. I will definitely be in July on the Wednesday after the Christmas Season ends. Finally, what's on hate? I believe it's called Final now. Whistle. And, ah, yeah so close. Looking forward to it. All
0: right. Well, we will definitely catch up with you there in person. But again.
1: First beer's on us. Ooh. Oh, nice one. Nice one. Looking to first that.
0: beers on dan i'd like to clarify <laughs> yep.
1: that's fine uh I, if you guys don't want to pony up to take care of jake i will take care of jake
0: good. oh that's awesome well anyways uh dan nick uh mike feel free to jump in with any final questions uh or even just words of gratitude i'll go
2: first
1: jake is amazing <laughs> thanks jake <laughs> all at the same time <laughs> yeah. we nailed it yeah so like we haven't been doing this for years. Quick
2: question, Jake: Does um, a buyout clause of a previous player it still counts as registering them as a new player? Is that correct?
3: Um, so, in a situation where Chelsea has sold a player, um, and has a buyback clause. Is that is that the example? Or yeah,
2: yeah. Like, could we uh, could then, we get an okay? No,
3: no. So um, if if Chelsea's permanently transfer the player, um, it has a buyback option in that clause. Chelsea won't be able to exercise that clause um, and then register that player because they'll have been under a ban for registering new players. There could be scope for Chelsea to exercise that buyback clause and then just not register the player until the club's ban on registering new players is expired. but that would be a very, very difficult sell to that player.
4: Cool. Nick, I I got nothing else. All
0: right. Well, we'll go ahead and embrace that moment of silence from Nick. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. right. Anyways, Chelsea fans, uh, go follow Jake. Give him a huge shout out. Give him a huge thanks. Uh, Words of appreciation. Jake, we look forward to seeing you in Boston. But Chelsea fans, that is a wrap for part two of this week's uh, lovely podcast. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do? Keep the blue flag flying high.